Okay, so everybody's favorite topic today, patience. Uh, we stink at this. We are terrible at it. And, um, you know, kind of before I get into this passage a little bit more, it's just in 2019, we are just, every single thing is at our fingertips. Now, I was a, a child of the 80s and 90s, okay? So I, I was born in 1980, so I had both of those decades before I was 20 years old. And to me, uh, now, looking at what my kids have available to them now and what I had available to me then, it's like mind-boggling, right? The, the fact that you can open up an app and have every single thing you could possibly ever want to watch ever at your fingertips. I don't know if you felt this way, but I just basically open up Netflix and just scroll for an hour and then eventually close it and not watch anything. <laughs> um, my kids have no problem picking thing, thing, jumping from one thing to the next, the next, and it's kind of like you have to keep an eye on what they're doing because so much is available to them. Um, it's not just that. It's, it's literally everything in our life. Everything in our life is at our fingertips. Everything is fast and getting faster, right? And so patience is one of those things that we just don't have as a nation, and I don't think any of us have in general. I mean, you just pay attention to the way people drive, right, the way people treat each other. I mean, even if you go to the store at the wrong time, the grocery store at the wrong time, and you're literally like, can this person just get out of my way? You know, and you're like, what is so important about your life that you need to run somebody down with your shopping cart and curse them as you go by, right? It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Or the last time that you were cut off by one of those cars that have a sticker on the back of it that um, make you think, like, is this a Christian? Why did this person do this? But then you step back and you're like, am I a Christian? I'm the one that's impatient. So what? Somebody cut me off. Like, I probably have time in my day to deal with somebody cutting me off, right? Uh, I feel like patience is one of those things that's very difficult, for us to process, and it may have been easier in the past, and it's harder, I think, now than ever it has been. It's just because of technology and the speed of life and everything that's going on, patience is one of those things that we have a really, really hard time with, and James, speaking to the church then, was saying patience was an incredibly important thing for them to get figured out in, like, first century. Like, for them, they're like, wow, patience is just at an all-time low, you know, like, the, the speed at which things have changed in the last 2,000 years is infinite. And to be honest, this is probably more important to us now than it was even to the people who heard it in that time. This is one of those things that for us is a major, major problem. Um, and so as we've been moving through James, we're now in chapter 5. We're actually two weeks out. And um, just before I continue on real quick, I just wanted to say next week we're going to be talking about prayer. And specifically we'll be talking about um, Anointing, uh, anointing prayer, uh, prayer of a, a powerful prayer of a. I don't. I'm, I'm quoting off the top of my head, but I, what I want to say is, if you have something nagging you going on in your life that you really like somebody to enter into and pray with you with about, uh, I think next week we're going to really spend some time after the service is over, just praying with people who are struggling with stuff, whatever it is that you're carrying around, um, and potentially just you know making sure that we're there and available for anyone who would like to pray about whatever's going on in their life. So. Do you have something that you'd be kind of carrying? Um, I just encourage you to think about next week, just showing up afterwards and having somebody enter into that with you and pray over whatever it is that's going on in your life. Um, and it could be about you or someone in your family or someone that you're close to or something you're struggling with or a health problem. Whatever it is, we just want to make sure that we're going to meet you where you're at and pray over you in that time. Anyways, patience. Um, so when James starts this passage, uh, starting with verse 7, Patience, this is not the first time that he's really dealt with this in the book, but we haven't specifically spoken about this issue. Um, we've talked more in the idea of perseverance, of like standing firm and being strong throughout a certain period of time. 
In fact, the word perseverance or steadfastness, if you have a different translation, um, it literally means to endure patiently. Okay, so there's an element of patience that comes with being steadfast or with uh, persevering, which will also be in this, in this passage. But that patient enduring is something that I think is really hard. And I think this really hurts our uh, relationship with God. And you, maybe this is not your story, but this is, I think this is something I've struggled with, and I think most people probably have, is that we get to a place where we, we basically there's a problem or something that we want to have kind of dealt with. We want to change about our lives. We want something to be fixed, right? We want to help somebody else out. And what do we do? We pray and we ask God to fix that thing. And then nothing happens. And then we're like, well, God must not be there and he must not want to be involved and he must not care about what's going on. And we're, we're actually applying the speed and the uh, intensity of our world today to the concept of our relationship with God. And it's really a dangerous thing. Because often we are called to persevere, to patiently endure while we ask God for what he's uh, able to provide. In fact, when Jesus teaches his disciples about prayer, uh, he tells them this story about a widow. I'm going to go off book here for a second. Uh, about a widow who went after this judge constantly, all the time, day after day, trying to get justice. And she would continually come and continually come and kept going to the judge and saying, give me justice, give me justice. And finally, the judge just said, fine, I'll give you what you're asking for because I want you to go away and you're being super annoying, essentially. And then Jesus said, he told his disciples this story so that they would pray and never give up. That in fact, God is a perfect father, a perfect judge who wants to give us the things that we ask for, but he calls us to continue to patiently endure while we wait for his justice. Okay? I mean, that's out of Jesus' mouth. He teaches his disciples that patiently enduring, and we, we, we send off a prayer and then nothing happens, and then we write God off. We say God doesn't care, and he's not involved in what we're doing, and he doesn't seem to want to answer the prayer. It seems like when I, when I fired off that prayer, it just bounced off the ceiling and came back, and there's nobody out there listening. And it affects our spiritual life when we start to apply the standards of our world, the speed at which we live at, to our spiritual lives where we're called to persevere and patiently endure and to have patience. You can see how this is an issue for us, right? So verse 7, he starts with, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Like, yeah, that's easy to say, hard to do, right? We aren't very patient. Uh, and I think sometimes we think about this idea of waiting, right? So I'm going to wait while something happens, and then at the end, I'm going to get the thing that I want, right? Or something's going to change at the end. And so we always think of this, uh, this move of waiting as, as uh, the, the thing that I have to do to get to the thing that I really want to see happen in my life. But in reality, James has been basically telling us that while we wait, God works on us. While we persevere, God changes us. He, he basically gets into our life and starts to change the way that we are, who we are, what we're doing, what we think about ourselves, the things that are going on inside of our hearts and minds. And that the waiting is actually the thing that we should be focused on. The perseverance, the patiently enduring is the thing that makes the change in our lives. That we just want the, the change of state. We want to go from one thing to the other. But it's the in-between time where God works on us and changes us. And so this is why James in the beginning of the book says, like, you know, you, you need to uh, revel in your suffering. Be joyful in the fact that you're going through things because God is uh, bringing about perseverance in your life. And he's bringing you to a full maturity while you wait and while you're being patient. We don't look at it that way. 
Right? So I, I, I obviously was a youth pastor for uh, almost 15 years and did lots and lots and lots of uh, mission trips, okay? And I think what's really interesting about mission trips is that we, we often get it wrong. I, a lot of times I would have a student who would come and be like, yes, we're going to go to Mexico and we're going to work with really poor people and this is going to be amazing and we're going to save these people, right? And I'd have to beat that out of them from the moment that they started thinking that way. Like I'd have to change their thought process and be like, listen, we're going on this mission trip, but it's not because we're going to save these people. They're fine, trust me. In fact, they're part of a church. We're gonna come alongside them and we're gonna go share the gospel and they're the ones that are gonna get the, the people who come into, who accept Jesus and become part of the church and we're gonna uh, help uh, give the church some energy and some passion and it's gonna be amazing. I think what, what they were thinking was like, I'm gonna go help somebody who's in need somewhere, and it's going to be great for them. What they don't realize is that any mission trip you go on, it's not actually about what you're able to do for the people that you go to visit. It's much more about what God does in you while you are outside of your natural comfort zone. That actually the the thing about doing a trip like that is actually about what happens in the people who go and serve. Right? The, we think the thing is you know, building the well, or the thing is building some houses, or the thing is sharing the gospel with people who are you know, down and out in a, in a tough spot. Yeah, that stuff's great, and we should come alongside of churches that are doing the same thing we're doing here in other places, and we should support them, and we should be praying for them, and coming alongside. But when you go on a trip, it's about the person who's going and the change that happens in their life. 100% of the time, that was the most important thing that happened in that student's life. We think patience is the thing we endure to get to the thing that we want. In reality, it's the thing. Okay, perseverance is the thing. God bringing us to full maturity while we wait is the thing. It's not getting us to the thing. It is the thing. We think it's a waiting game. I'm waiting for it. It's the thing. James tells us that while we persevere, while we're being patient, while we're learning steadfastness, that God is doing his work. That maturity is coming in our lives. That we're learning how to rely on God. That we're actually growing in our faith. And so that if we don't have patience in our relationship with God, we're actually missing out on what God wants to do in our life. He goes on, verse, uh, verse 8. See, see how the farmer waits for, his, for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but every time I've farmed, really, I've patiently waited for the, nobody else, I don't know. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do this farmer thing. I mean, maybe we play like games like Farmville or something, but I, don't, I can't tell you much, but I, I think I have an idea of what he's going for here. He's basically saying, look, the farmer does his work, and he puts the seed in the ground, and he tills the soil and gets it ready, and he does everything that he can do. But at some point, he steps back and has no control over where that thing will go and what that thing will do. He can do everything he can to get it to a certain place, but the actual growth that happens in that seed and in that soil happens on its own. There's nothing he can do to control that thing. And I think for us, a lot of times, the lack of patience we have is connected to a lack of control that we have. And in fact, we work to a certain point, and then we have to wait and have faith, and that's the hard part. We find out where we are with God when we don't have control how we respond to that situation. 
When there's a situation where I can't do anything about it, I'm not in control of this thing, and we turn that thing over to Christ, and we have faith in that moment where he's doing what he's doing, and we have to persevere, and we have to wait patiently, endure patiently, that's when we realize what's actually going on in our hearts and in our minds. That's where we realize where we are with the Lord. It's when I'm out of control that I can see what's actually happening in my relationship with God. And we want to plant in good soil. I mean, this, this illustration is amazing because you think about the idea that the gospel gets planted into us and we want to be in good soil. A lot of us, we don't stay connected to a church. We don't have anyone in our lives that speak into us. We don't actually have a really great environment for the gospel to be planted into. I mean, our goal at this church is to be all about community and all about the community. Our goal is to bring people in and put them in great soil. So when the gospel is planted in them, it grows and they flourish and they become strong and mature in their faith, right? The, the soil that we're planted in makes all the difference. And if you're planted in weak soil, then when the rain comes, what happens? You get washed away. But when the rain comes and you're planted in great soil, in a church of people who love you, want to see the best in your life, come alongside you, support you, encourage you, Man, you're in that perfect place. That rain's not so scary. That rain's coming. It's not so scary when you're planted in the right spot. When you're planted in the wrong spot, that rain washes away your faith. Okay, so it's all about finding yourself in the good soil and trusting that God is going to do what he's going to do and waiting for him to do the work. Storms will crush people who aren't planted in great soil, but they will cause those who are planted in great soil to grow and become mature. And it'll be God who does it. He goes on, he says, you too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Okay, so it feels like he's just repeating himself over and over again. But this stand firm idea, so you too, be patient and stand firm. Stand firm is a terrible translation in this uh, translation in the NIV. Okay, so uh, this concept of standing firm, of persevering, of placing yourself Firmly and establishing yourself, it actually translates really well to establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Okay, the gospel tells us that we must establish our hearts for the coming of Jesus, that we must put ourselves in a place where we're standing firm in our hearts in the right place, to actually put ourselves in place and then to stand firm in that place. And I think a lot of us, we struggle because we haven't firmly established our hearts in Christ. We have a firm, firmly established our hearts in all kinds of other things, but not necessarily in Jesus, okay? The, for this to work, for maturity to come, for you to have perseverance, for you to be able to patiently endure all the things that will be thrown at you, you have to first establish your heart in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel, right? We, we basically, at some point, have to step back and say, my way doesn't work. In fact, if I'm given to myself, I'm going to essentially be a selfish person who serves myself. We all are like that. Everyone is like that. If you don't think that every human on earth is essentially selfish and will serve themselves, just hang out with a three-year-old for like five minutes. We're born this way. We're born to serve ourselves. We're born to be selfish. And it's when we realize the fact that we are separated from God, that we have Nothing in ourselves that is redeemable. When we turn ourselves over to Christ, when we ask him to do the work in us, and when we firmly establish our hearts in Christ, that is when the good news happens. That's when the gospel starts to flourish. That's when we change from being selfish people to selfless people. 
That's when Jesus starts to use us to change the world around us. This is when all the magic happens. I think we have a lot of people walking around, in Minnesota especially, who are really good at being Christians, but aren't firmly established in their hearts in Christ. We all need to step back and ask that question. Am I firmly established in Christ? Is my heart set in Christ? Or is there something else that my heart is set on? Is it set on serving myself? Is it set on doing the things that I want to do? Is it set on building my own kingdom? Or am I firmly established and set in Christ? Because that's the key. That's the most important thing. And until we do that, all of this is us just trying harder. That's what religion is. It's just you just trying harder to do the things that you think you're supposed to do and failing miserably. I want to be a better person. I got to stop swearing. Uh, you know, I need to really stop this habit that I have. I need to treat this person better. I need to let go of this thing that I've been holding on to in this relationship. You can try. You can try. You can't do it until your heart is firmly established in Christ, until you've given over what you have and you've received what Jesus has wanted to give you. That is the, the, the good news of the gospel. So essentially... He says, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And I don't think we really live with the right amount of urgency. You've probably heard this, these phrases before, the Lord's coming is near or Jesus is coming back or it's about to happen. When you read what the, the New Testament writers wrote, when you read what Jesus said, you see that they believed that there was a second coming, a Christ was coming back and it could happen at any moment. That still hasn't changed, but yet somehow we don't live with the urgency that Christ could come back tomorrow. Essentially, we are standing outside of a burning building. There are people inside screaming, and we're like, hey, maybe I'll get to that tomorrow. There's a certain amount of urgency that we have to live with as Christians. You're like, I'm going to wait till the next conversation to bring it up with this person. Or maybe I'll invite them next year or in the fall or when it's a better time. We have excuses after excuses because we're not living with the right amount of urgency. When James writes this to the church, he's saying, like, you guys, you need to reach as many people as possible. You need to stand firm, and then you need to reach out to other people and drag them in out of the burning building because tomorrow Jesus could come and their opportunity could be over. You're like, come on, man. It's been 2,000 years, right? Like, this is 2019. Like, no, that's not a thing. Scripture tells us that this can happen at any moment, that Jesus will come back, that every person will be judged. They'll stand in front of Christ, and they'll have to justify the things that they've done, and they either have one of two options. It's either I'm good on my own, and therefore I am deemed to be unworthy of being in relationship with God, or I'm good because I know Christ, and I've received his forgiveness, and I know what it means to have his uh, grace in my life. That is something that's coming. And so James, he's connected twice to the idea that we should live with urgency because the Lord's coming is near. This should change everything for us. You think about any major decision that you make, right? Like you're going to go on a vacation, right? You're going to set a time on the calendar. You're going to put it, circle it. You're going to start to think about the things that you have to do. A couple months out, you're going to go look for you know, plane tickets, or you're going to figure out how you're going to go to this place. You know, you're going to start to change the way that you do things a couple weeks in advance. You're going to start to make sure that the right stuff's clean, that you have everything you need, that you find that thing that you needed from the basement that's like buried somewhere. Right? You're going to start to change the way that you live, so that way when that time comes, you're ready for it. Right? Jesus actually talks about this in another section. He says, like, look, people who knew that their house was going to be robbed would stand waiting for their, the thief to come and would basically keep them from robbing their house. And yet we don't live with the same urgency that Jesus is coming back at any moment, and yet we're acting as though nothing is different. 
right? You decide on a major in college. You have a health scare. This, these things change the way that you live. They change the way that you make decisions. They change the, the matrix of how you make decisions now is different. This should be the way that we look at Christ, that he could come back at any time, that we don't have an infinite amount of time. And the problem is a lot of us actually love the world that we live in. If we step back and actually ask the question, do we want Jesus to return, and we were honest about it, we might say no. We might be like, I like what's going on. I want to continue to do the things that I do. I want this life that I have. I don't want what's coming up. I, I think sometimes we have this idea that like Jesus comes back and then we go to heaven and heaven is just like being in a choir all the time, which sounds like hell to me. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, that sounds amazing. No, that sounds terrible to me. I do not want any of that. Like, this is a much bigger thing than I think we give it credit for. I don't think we always exactly understand what is coming. When Jesus returns, all things are restored. When Jesus returns, all pain, all difficulty, all of these things are made completely new. All these things are, be, are reconciled to God. In fact, God was reconciling the entire world to himself through the person of Jesus, and it's all made right when he comes back. And yet we're like, well, fine, come back, but do it after this happens. Right? I remember actually thinking about this when I was going to get married, right? Like, now, I'm going to get really real with you for a second, okay? I was a, I was a, I was a Christian. Me and my wife, we were abstinent until marriage, okay? We were super pumped about our wedding day. Now, we're going to have all our friends there. We're going to celebrate our wedding, and, and we're going to consummate our marriage for the first time. It was very exciting to us. And I just kept thinking, Jesus is going to come back the night before. <laughs> I'm going to miss out on all this relationship, all this stuff. We're going to be the middle of the party, and I'm going to miss out on this thing. And I remember actually... <laughs> there's a, a place in scripture where Jesus says, no one will know the time and day that, that Christ will return. So I was like, Christ is returning on June 3rd. Because I knew that if I knew the time and day, it was impossible for him to return that day. I was using his logic against him. <laughs> I used to do that as a kid too. This works really good. Like right before Christmas, the night before Christmas, right? You're like, Jesus is coming back right now. I got to get to tomorrow, right? But man, like, what are we doing? We <laughs> We want, to put, we want to put off Jesus coming back and reconciling the entire world to God because of some temporal thing that we're looking forward to. Are you kidding? Right? Like, think of anyone you know who's struggling with cancer. Think of anyone you know who's in a pit of despair. Think of anybody you know who's dealing with, you know, anxiety or, or depression or broken relationships or who has lost somebody who will regain them. We want to put that off? No way. We want that to come as soon as possible. The first church had a greeting. They used to say to each other, Maranatha, which means like basically it's like until Jesus' return. Like it was such a forward-thinking thing. They, it was on their lips all the time that Christ's return could be tomorrow. And they lived in such a way that it was the first and last thing that they were always thinking about when they greeted each other. I long for Christ's return. We, we need to be ready for it to be tomorrow. We have one chance with some people that we meet. We, we're in relationships where we're waiting to have the conversation for when. 
At what point are we going to have the conversation with someone about where they stand with God? What are we waiting on? And so this idea of Christ coming back should change the urgency at which we live at. And we shouldn't be so married to the world that we live in that we forget the idea that there is something so much better coming down the road. And you know, we got this picture of what this looks like from the way they would do weddings in Israel back in the first century. That essentially, the, the groom and the groom's parents would come to the, to the bride and they would negotiate a price. I know this is a little bit first century, but they would figure this thing out and then they would get like a contract, essentially. They would make an agreement that, okay, these kids are going to get married. And then the, bride, or the groom would go home to his parents' house and he would spend some time building onto the home, getting himself a place where he could bring his bride and getting a place ready so that he could take his, his bride to a new place where they could establish their own family. And he could be gone for up to a year building onto his parents' house, creating a space for his new family. And then at some point, right, the, the, the groom would return and it would be out of nowhere. Nobody would know. Like nobody would know the, the groom was coming back and they would start to announce it to the town as he was coming. And so then the bride and all the people that were part of the wedding would get ready for the groom to come and then they would basically be then united and they would go have a ceremony and then they would have a seven-day banquet, right? This is what a Jewish wedding looked like in that first century. And so when Jesus tells us, right, in John chapter 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, if it were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me and also that you will be where I am. Jesus is essentially saying here, like, I am the groom and I'm going to heaven and I'm creating a place for you to be someday with me. And while you patiently endure, get ready for me to come back. That the moment I come back and they announce my return, that you should be ready to go with me to the place that I've already set up for you. By the way, the, the bride in this scenario is the church. It is, it is us individually and us as a group, as we patiently endure and prepare and persevere and continue to have faith steadfastly while we wait for Christ's return. I think people make mistakes on both sides they are either too focused on this world that they are missing the idea that Jesus is coming to establish something else or they are so focused on heaven that they are missing the idea that they can make a difference right now in the world while they patiently endure. That in fact, we have to have both concepts happening. That we want to be reaching people now because Christ may come back, but we want to be making sure that our lives are focused on what Jesus is doing and what he's going to bring about when he returns. This is a tension as Christians that needs to be managed. This is not a problem that we can ever solve. We have to live here now with our eyes on the mission of what God is doing, and we have to live with our eyes hopefully looking forward to what he will bring about in the future. This is a tension that we manage, not a problem that we solve. We have to do both, and we have to be ready to live with the urgency that comes along with that. Is anybody in here following me? Okay, sorry. I feel like I feel passionate about this because I just feel like we're missing it sometimes. We either have our head in the clouds or we're so in love with our world that we're ineffective as Christians. 
He goes on in verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Right? Like, how small does this look thinking about the intensity of Christ's return? He's like basically James, and he kind of jumps around. He's, it's a little, he's a little ADHD, which I appreciate about him. Sometimes, they, sometimes we call this the Proverbs of the New Testament. He kind of gives you little bits of wisdom sprinkled in there. And he's like, hey, by the way, so now that you're living for Christ's return, hey, maybe don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you too will be judged because the judge is standing at the door. Once again, I'm going to remind you that there's a moment coming where every person will be judged, and you're focused on really stupid stuff. Let it go. Your God has given you so much mercy and grace, and you can't even offer it to the next person standing next to you? Are you kidding? He's essentially just basically like, this is not important stuff, guys. That we need to let it go. We need to learn how to live in community and to tell the truth to one another and to not let things come between us and to take care of the relationships that we have that aren't in the church and to find ways to have wholeness in our relationships now so that we're prepared for what Jesus wants to do in us and through us. <laughs> so we can't play judge because the judge is coming. Verse 10, he says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessing those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So it's like in light of Christ's return, why the heck are we caught up in the foolish, divisive nonsense? We should be focused on perseverance and look at these examples of patience in the face of suffering. Look at the prophets who told the truth no matter what. Look at Job, who lost everything over and over, and where people basically said, just curse God and die. And Job's response was, though he may slay me, yet I will find hope in him. He says, if you want examples, they're all throughout Scripture. Forget about Scripture for a second. They're all throughout this church. You want examples of this? Talk to anyone in here. People are carrying stuff and they're still persevering, and they're still having faith in Jesus. They're still encouraging one another. We're still entering into the truth and talking about it, no matter what's going on. There's a, a level of authenticity and realness that's happening in this place that is rare in our world. Look around. See what's happening. Find a way to join that, because Jesus is full of compassion and mercy. And if you step into what God has called you to do, he will give you the strength to carry on until you have fully completed what he's asked you to do. Verse 12, above all else, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. He basically says, one last thing, just be a person of your word. While you are waiting for Christ to come back, do the things that you'll say you're going to do. Don't be the kind of person that overpromises and underdelivers. Be the kind of person who delivers on the promises they make. When you say you'll be there, be there. When you say you'll be there at a certain time, be there at a certain time. When you say you'll follow through on something, follow through on something. Do you know these are the best people to work with? <laughs> these are the best people to live next door to. These are the best people to be in relationship with. These are the best people to have as part of your life, people who do what they say they'll do. This is the kind of community that God wants to build while we are waiting for his return. 
And the question is, are our hearts steadfast in Christ? Are we firmly established in Jesus? And are we able to do this in his strength? Because if we try to do it on our own, if we try to, to just do more or try harder, that's called religion. And in our religion, we die. In our religion, we fail. And in our religion, nothing changes in us, and we are not saved in that. We are only saved when we put our faith in Christ. We pick up what he wants us to do, and we start to do it because of his strength and power working through us. And it's an urgent mission. It's not something we can put off. It's not something that we can decide to do next week or next year or next month, that we need to be urgently awaiting the coming of Jesus and living as though it will be tomorrow. Let me pray. Jesus, would you be everything we need to do what you've called us to do in this world? God, would you help us not to be so in love with the world that we are useless to your mission? God, would you help us to not be so in love with heaven that we are missing out on what you're calling us to do right now? Would you help us to manage the tension? To be urgently after the people in this world to be pulling them out of the burning building and into the safety of a relationship with you. Would you give us that urgency? And God, would you, would you help us keep our eyes on what is coming, the hope that is in your return, the fact that you will come and make everything right again someday, all the things that are broken in our world, God, that you will change, that you will make right, that you will bring back into reconciliation, Thank you, Jesus, for stepping into our world, for taking on the pain of this world, for showing us what it looked like to be selfless. God, would you help us to have just an ounce of the perseverance that you had, an ounce of Job's perseverance, an ounce of the prophet's perseverance. God, would you give us just a little bit of the perseverance of the people in this room who are struggling and, and continuing to persevere? Would you help us to stand firm in our relationship with you? to stand firm in what you're doing and what you're calling us to do and to do it through your power. In Jesus' name, amen.